0: Bridging your
1: Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio.
0: Do you struggle to find purpose and inspiration for your life? Well, a lot do, and there's an answer. Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body series kicks off today diving into this specific issue of what is the purpose? What is the meaning of my body? We will touch on that in just a moment. It's Transgender Day of Remembrance all over social media. This is hashtagged and trending. I'll share with you what that is, and I think some facts to set the record straight and to guide us into a perspective we should have when we see trending stories such as these that are ambiguous, but it's been an interesting trend on social media I'll share with you because I think there's a lot of perspective coming from both sides on this transgender day of remembrance. So stay with me as we dive into that in just a moment. And here's the news. That is, what's going on in your family? What questions do you have? Well, licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder joins me in just a little bit on trending. What's happening in your family? What questions do you have? We're taking it from a therapeutic perspective with sound theology, and sound therapy, but also a Catholic and hopeful perspective. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of a Foresters Life Insurance. So be sure to get in line because tons of questions are coming in. That number is 888-914-9149. Doug Hinder will be joining us in just a bit here on Trinity, taking your questions, but also how to be kinder to your spouse. This is a great one. It seems as if we can be nice, myself included, to everyone, stranger, person at the grocery store, or just people outside of the house. And then sometimes, maybe you also struggle with this at times, the people inside your home can be a little more difficult to be kind to. So that is a trend that is not uncommon. I remember St. Mother Teresa even talking about this. So stay with me as we dive into this in just a bit. But I logged on to X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, and one of the leading trending hashtags from the last couple days has been trans day of remembrance now the human rights campaign is claiming all kinds of crazy details in which they're trying to push forward this campaign but what's really interesting is to follow the social media narrative this is A Trans Day of Remembrance, where the topic is swinging in both directions. And let me be clear when I say there are a lot of people who are championing a pro-LGBTQ agenda, but I also am seeing, and I think this is part of that pendulum swing we were talking about last week, I'm seeing this swing of people saying, no, let's set the record straight. Number one, I'm not okay with a transgender agenda that's trying to impact my children, and it's causing mental health confusion for children and also let's set the record straight and actually remember these kids and young people in the prime of their life as young adults who are struggling with a so-called bi transgender identity and who are committing suicide or who are dealing with such severe mental health issues not addressed that we are seeing them behind the leading and most common school shootings and massacres of late. And I will share with you some of this because this is pretty significant that almost every single shooting that we have come across in the last couple of years and I, I'm going to name six specific ones. There has been some trans or bi identity that the person who killed all of these kids, all these adults went into the schools that this person was struggling with. And so, what does it show? It shows a theme among many others when it comes to school shootings of young people who are struggling with their identity. And so, when I see this hashtag, Trans Day of Remembrance, what I see is a tidal wave on social media of people saying no actually people who are struggling with transgenderism they are struggling with a mental health crisis and I think this is something we're not speaking enough of which is why tomorrow here on Trendy we're going to debunk the myth that if you don't transition into a new transgender identity that is not the same as your biological sex, that you'll commit suicide. This is a lie. And internationally, the mental health community is rejecting it. But for some reason, it's just in the United States, we're continuing to push a transgender identity in particular upon minors, which is outrageous because studies show that up to 95% of kids who identify as transgender, and this is peer-reviewed not faith-based research, up to 95% of kids who do not identify as trans, who are struggling to identify with their gender, with transgenderism, if they're not ushered into a transgender identity, they work it out. That's more than 9 out of 10 kids who struggle with gender. If you don't encourage them to identify and name as something else, they work it out on their own and they claim their biological real identity. That's in line with sound therapy and sound psychology that in the history of the mental health community has been what we do. For example, if we saw a person come to a mental health professional and this person said, I believe that I only have three limbs, two arms, one leg, but the person really had a second leg that was perfectly healthy and he could walk on, well, the therapist would have the responsibility to Give us sound guidance, sound care to help this person come to better understand their leg. And part of that therapeutic process with a professional would be helping to go back into the roots of that man's life to help him see why is it that he's pretending like he doesn't have a second healthy leg. Why is he refusing to use it why is he on crutches only using one leg even though the other leg works perfectly fine and maybe what would happen is you would go back into his life and you would find let's say perhaps that he served in the military and there was a major issue years ago where he was involved in battle and had an injury and his legs completely fine but because he's shell shock, he has some mental health challenges in terms of coming over overcoming that wound and that time serving in the war, he is having a hard time accepting that he has a second leg. For some reason, there's some psychological stymie that's getting in the way of him embracing reality. The therapist would go deep back into his life to when he remembered he had another leg. How did you feel about that leg? What happened that made you feel like you didn't have it? The professionals would do the professional work, helping the person to come back into reality. See, this is what reality is. This is when I experienced it or this is when I desired it. And this is how I realign myself with reality. That's what would happen if someone thought that they didn't have four limbs and that they were missing a leg. Now, a therapist will never go through and say, you know what? You're right. If you don't want to have that fourth limb, If you don't believe that your perfectly functioning and healthy leg functions and you would feel happier if you didn't have it, sure, let's go ahead and take some drugs to prevent any circulation to that leg. Let's then hmm, maybe start to infect parts of the leg so that it doesn't function anymore. And then you know what, maybe we should amputate it. That's exactly what happens with any young person today who says, who's a biological male and says, you know what? I think I identify as a woman. I think I'm a girl. The first visit to a therapist, do you know what happens? That therapist, without having any knowledge of past history, and we've seen this in the example of Abel Garcia, Chloe Cole, and I could go through the line naming many, Ollie London and others, who shared on that very first visit, after less than an hour together, that so-called therapeutic therapist professional gives a document that gives access to begin a transition with chemical hormones. Therefore, styming the proper functioning of the male-female hormones in the body. That would be like infecting your toe and then infecting your foot because that person who rejects having four limbs and says he doesn't have a functioning leg, you would be saying, okay, well, let's start infecting it and making it stop work because you think you don't have it, so let's cause it not to work. Let's bring your reality into reality by using damaging drugs and maybe even bodily mutilation surgery to chop off your your leg. This is how extreme the transgender movement is. Why is this relevant to the trans day of remembrance? I'm trying to connect the dots that what's happening here is a real and very sad mental health crisis, a crisis of identity. And I have the utmost sorrow and concern and love for especially these young people who are floundering in a life saying, I don't know who I am, what I am. At the end of the day, you and I, as people of faith, know that this deep down inside is a crisis of faith, a crisis of family origins. However, that person who's struggling with their identity is in the midst of a chaotic world, where girls are objectified to need to be perpetually hot and available. And boys say that they don't matter, they're being canceled left and right. It was interesting, I went to the aquarium this weekend and my mind was blown because I saw two extremes with nowhere in the middle, specifically girls, and I think this is relevant to girls because the largest group of people right now coming out as transgender are young females from high school to early 20s age. They are not just coming out as transgender, but they're coming out in groups, in cliques, in posses, girls together. You know, for some reason, girls have to go to the bathroom together. Apparently, they need to do this together as well. I don't get it, but here's the deal. It's a transgender craze. It's a mental health craze. Girls are rejecting what's happening. How is this relevant to the aquarium this weekend? This weekend, here I am at the aquarium and I see two extremes. I'm walking around looking at all of these teenage to college and a little beyond age girls who are either wearing huge, giant, baggy pants and the baggiest sweatshirt that You can't tell anything about their body. You can't see their figure. It's huge. It's droopy. It's ginormous, okay? You cannot see anything of their body other than their head and hair that's sticking out. The girls have often terrible, usually terrible posture. Why? Because there's something about their bodies, something about their identity that they're deeply disassociated with and they're rejecting it or they're hiding it. That's how lacking in confidence in their female identity young girls are today. Now, there's no in between. The other extreme, I was just at the aquarium for an hour or two, and this is all I see. On the other extreme were girls wearing dresses that I'll just say let, left nothing to be desired and I'm surprised I wasn't looking at underwear if there were any there to begin with. That's how far the extremes are. Girls who are either standing in their bodies as something that's meant to be perpetually hot and available, quote-unquote easy, or girls who are saying, no, I reject that. Let's hide everything about my body to the point where let's just completely erase my body and say, I'm not a girl. Girls are struggling, so are boys. So when there's this hashtag Trans Day of Remembrance going around on social media, I'm intrigued because I think people are catching on. And this is why you're hearing both sides. There are places such as the Human Rights Campaign that's really just smearing lies everywhere about the death of people, should I say men and women, especially young men and women who identify as transgender. And then you have the hordes of people who are telling the truth about a mental health crisis. Now, here's one that's to ponder. I'm going to give you six of the most recent school massacres where young men or young women came up and murdered tons of children. For example, first one, more recently, March of this year. Person comes in in Nashville and shoots, kills six people, including three nine year olds. There was a transgender connection that's being covered up. Colorado Springs murderer identified as non-binary. Denver shooter identified as transgender. The Aberdeen murderer identified as transgender. Uvalde shooter identified as trans. I just gave you six examples. Now, mainstream media has actually punished people for releasing documents that had anything to do with some sort of trans non-binary identity even putting people on leave who are part of the investigation if somehow they think they might have been related to the release of the fact that data is coming out, that some of these kids or very young 20-something-year-old individuals had some sort of confusion about their identity. All of these kids or young 20-year-olds who should be in the prime of their life Are struggling with their identity, and they're going in with such a severe psychosis, such a severe mental health disorder, that no one's helping to treat or address what's going on. And I'm just naming six of these. We could dig much deeper, but my heart is so heartbroken by the fact that these stories, when we look into the details, details that aren't being shared because it's being covered up by the mainstream media, by the pro-LGBTQ movement, include medication to transition, medication that's covering up a real crisis of health. It's covering up bad therapy. And so I think the real solution is we need to help people. And I want to share with you a story. I was reading a lot of the Trans Day Remembrance posts on social media, and I started to read some of them from Ireland and the UK and overseas. I was reading one woman's post. She said, in Ireland, there is zero transgender people who have ever been killed. But about six years ago, there was one man who a cowardly, closeted, deviant cross-dresser. So in other words, he was a cross-dresser, even though he was a man. He was also a school vice principal and was being outed for his cross-dressing and he was in the process of heading toward being divorced. He took an instrument. I'm not going to give all the details, but I'll put it this way. He went and killed his entire family, three children and his wife. Now, people look at him and others and say they're the victims, but what's happening is there's a real victim crisis of bad therapy saying, trans, be transgender, be whatever you want. We don't talk about the lives of those friends and family members who are sorrowful because the therapy community, the medical community is going through and transitioning or saying, you do you online. We need to see the suffering of men and women who are struggling with their identity and help with Sound psychology, sound therapy that helps to align people with reality. We need to help young men and women to embrace reality, their male or if they're female identity. All of this is part of sound therapy historically, but for some reason we've gotten political about therapy and it's fundamental to church teaching. God created us male or female, and we are called to embrace and come to a greater sense of discovery of our identity. So if you're a parent of a child or if you have a friend struggling with their identity, you can see how they're dressing, how they're talking, what they're looking at. Help to align them with reality. Compliment that young girl's beauty. Build up that young man's strength. Be a mentor if you are someone of the same sex to help encourage and what it looks like to be a male. One way to be a male. One way to be a female. I believe in the power of prayer and I believe in the power of truth. That is Jesus Christ. So let's help set the record straight when it comes to days such as today of Trans Day of Remembrance. By the way, join Relevant Radio at the National Eucharistic Congress next July in Indianapolis and prepare for the historic gathering with Eucharistic encounters. It's a collection of short stories about the power of the real presence told by Father Rocky. This week on Eucharistic Encounters, Father Rocky shares the best advice he's ever received. What is it, from a priest, a co-worker, or both? Find out this week's encounter at relevantradio.com slash encounter. That's relevantradio.com slash encounter. By the way, what's going on in your family? Do you have a question for a therapist? Want a Catholic and hope-filled perspective? Give us a call. The number is 888-914-9149. Okay, I want to look at this whole transgender crisis, what's happening in the culture, not specifically addressing those, but looking at this from theology and understanding that God has a purpose for our bodies. And we can actually come to a greater and much deeper understanding of ourselves if we look to the body and what Pope St. John Paul II coined as a theology of the body. We've been in this series for a handful of weeks now, and we're coming up toward the end. And today the focus is finding that purpose and inspiration, whether you're married or not, young or old, dating, single, it doesn't matter, seeing that there's something fundamentally written into our bodies. And it's what Pope St. John Paul II and other theologians have referred to as the, quote, spousal meaning of the body. We've dove in deep into what it means to have a spousal meaning to our bodies. Now, this is for anyone, male or female, married or not. What we're looking at is that there's a function, there's a theology to our bodies that reveals a greater sense of function and inspiration and meaning and purpose and how we're meant to live our lives. You see, in the sacrament of matrimony, we see an example of the redemption of the body that, think about it, marriage is difficult, marriage is messy. If you've seen any marriages, you probably see how difficult they can be, but also how joy-filled and blessed they can be as well. We strive for the latter, Now, part of that is understanding the redemption that occurs in marriage of the spouses through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the grace of the sacrament of matrimony. This is why the last handful of weeks we've been journeying through St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, one of the key areas where we read about marriage in the New Testament. And there's this great analogy given of Christian spouses to imitate Jesus Christ in his sacrificial love, and the church in her obedience and submission in union with Christ. Salvation history depicts God as this faithful husband and his steadfast love, and how Israel's identity can sometimes be, as the chosen people's identity sometimes is this unfaithful spouse that forgets about God, fails to worship him, but that God continuously in his steadfast love draws them back into himself. And so we've been looking at all of this in theology of the body series the last handful of weeks looking at salvation history the sacraments it's funny because i've been written to a couple times as i've been working through this series by people who are struggling they're very single they want to be married and it's frustrating and they're getting sick of hearing content about marriage which is sad because theology of the body points to the analogy of Christ in the church the analogy of marriage the redemption of the body the example of how the body has this signpost, this compass for what we are meant to do with our lives. The profound realization, when we ponder this, of marriage points to the spousal meaning of the body, that my life is made for total, life-giving, self-giving love. Pope St. John Paul II said, Man who is from the beginning male and female must seek the meaning of his existence and the meaning of his humanity by reaching all the way to the mystery of creation through the reality of redemption. So Pope St. John Paul II is saying, look to the beginning of the creation of the human person. What do we read in Genesis chapter one? This is what we've been unraveling for 16 weeks now here on Trending. We see the spousal meaning in the body, the male and female body are like a key in a lock that reveals on a material level, the spiritual reality. Adam says, ah, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He sees that he can physically give himself to even receive her, but he also sees there's someone he can communicate with, someone he can share life with. Now, Pope St. John Paul II says, look, does not say this. He doesn't say, look to the beginning of the world, the creation of the human person, and see what it means to be a person only as married. No, he as a, a single Celibate priest without children is giving us an example of the meaning of life that he understands as well, even in his state in life. From the dawn of creation, we see what's referred to in all of theology as matrimony, as that primordial sacrament. Why is it known as a primordial sacrament? Because it gives us, in that one flesh union, the example of being fruitful and multiplying, the example of cooperation, the example of submission the example of sacrifice, all of these lead to virtue, and all of these are only lived out and performed through the grace of Jesus Christ. This is where Pope St. John Paul II says we find the essential answer to the question about the meaning of the human body and the meaning of the masculinity and femininity of the human person. In other words, sacrificial love is understood in the example of spousal love. Not all of us will live that out. Some people will have a spouse who dies early, Some people will never marry. Some people will marry but never have children. Some people will become celibate, virginal priests or nuns. Pope St. John Paul II says the union of Christ and the church allows us to understand in what way the spousal meaning of the body is completed by the redemptive meaning on the different roads of life and in different situations. So in other words, the spousal meaning is lived out in all sorts of different lifestyles married, celibate, all of these examples, male and female. However, we see the redemptive dimension in the grace of Jesus Christ being infused in us through the grace of the sacraments to live that life out. This is why we're called to live a Eucharistic life, a life that is in union with God through the sacraments, with reconciliation. We're meant to form our purpose and our mission in life as Pope St. John Paul II says, according to the model of the spousal love of Christ in the church. This is why St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, when he gives these sound guiding principles for what it looks like to be a wife in marriage and what it means to look like, what it looks like to be a husband in marriage, ultimately he says, well, this is an example of Christ in the church, Christ's sacrificial love, the church's obedience and submission. With that, we see this great mystery as Pope or not Pope, but uh, St. Paul says that mysteries of Christ and the church The mystery is of Jesus Christ's sacrificial love and the mystery of the grace available within marriage, within the single life, within the priesthood, within religious life to live out the spousal meaning of the, God, of the body, which is that we are called and we are made for total life-giving, self-giving love and that my life is meant to be given out of gratitude for all that God has given me. That is what the spousal meaning of the body means. This is why we long so deeply for marriage, but some of us won't have it. This why we long so deeply for children, but some of us won't have them. We have to see that God is working in His grace and mercy in whatever state in life we're in. But are we being fecund? Are we being fruitful? Are we being generous? Are we allowing our lives to be transformed? by that sacrificial love, that marital example of Christ in the church, or are we becoming embittered by what we don't have, by what is lacking, rather than a place of gratitude that God so deeply calls us to, and that is ultimately the theology of the human body. More on theology of the body this week. Stay with me. Coming up is licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder, and we're taking your questions what's happening in your family. Do you want a hope-filled Catholic perspective with a good therapist? The number is 888-914-9149.
1: We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Welcome back. Do you want to know how to be kinder to your spouse in marriage? Sometimes it seems as if it's much easier to be nicer to strangers, colleagues, that person at the grocery store, but then you get home and it can be difficult to be nice to your family, maybe even more so your spouse or your children they have louder means. So let's talk about that with Doug Hinder. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. We're also taking your questions. What's going on in your marriage? What questions do you have that you want a hope-filled, faithful Catholic response from, but also from a therapist? We're happy to take them. The number is 888-914-9149. Doug, welcome back to Trending.
1: Hello, Timory. Good to be with you again this evening.
0: Let's talk about kindness in a moment. A lot of questions are coming in. I'd like to start touching on some of them. Sure. Christine's on the line from San Marcos, California. Christine, welcome to Trending. What's your question for Doug today?
1: So my question is, I am currently the primary breadwinner. I bre- it's, we're right now a one-income family. Um, my husband is has been stay-at-home um, in order to take some time off to take care of his parents. Um, we have two small kids. He's hoping to get back into the workforce soon, but given this role reversal in a way, like what advice would you have, um, since he is dad, he's the, per the church, kind of like head of the household, I really want to bolster him. Um, and just, uh, also kind of like know my role kind of more as wife and mom, but also the fact that I'm, I'm the main source of income right now. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, these uh, role reversals can be difficult, but they can work out well as well. And I think the, um, the difficult thing for your husband is, you know, us men derive a lot of our feeling of worth and value in the world by the work that we do. Now, the work of raising children is the most important work in the world, of course, but us men tend to have this focus that we should be out of the house, earning a salary, and be the major uh, breadwinner. So I think the important thing, I think, would be to make sure that he knows how much you value him and how much you love him and and how important he is, right? And and to uh, always treat him with great respect and to you know, include him in the decisions, to talk to him, to get his input on the big decisions in the family, et cetera, so that he feels like he's an integral part of what's going on. And when the time comes for him to go get a job outside the home, to certainly be supportive of that. And I think one of the most powerful messages a wife can give her husband is to say, I trust you and I'm here to to work with you, but I trust you to make good decisions for our family. And whichever way you decide to go, I'm here with you.
0: Mm, this is great, Doug. This is a very common theme I'm finding right now. Christina, you're in the same boat that I find a lot of couples are. It's these reversed roles and even though you guys choose it for legitimate reasons, for example, he's helping care- take care of the kids, but specifically for the purpose of taking care of sex and parents. I had some friends last year. The husband was going back to school, really trying to boost up his education experience so that he could make more for the family. And so he was home doing a little more housework and kids' work while also going to school. And, Doug, I'm seeing this more and more often that they couples have a plan. It's usually a temporary season or they think it's a solution, but then kind of some chaos ensues because of the husband's struggle with his identity in that yeah. stay-at-home position. Um, what would it be helpful for helping to remind of like your purpose like okay this is just a season this is for six months like you said i trust in you i'm so grateful for where you're at like do husbands in these scenarios especially when they're shorter term need to be how can they be reminded of their role as still functioning as a provider and sacrificially
1: yeah yeah it's a great question to me and i think um you know a, a man's greatest fear is failure And so us men are very sensitive and suggest that we're not doing what we should be doing. And so very important for our wives to build us up, to tell us that we're not failures. And the fact that we're not working outside the home, that doesn't mean we're not, doing a lot and contributing the way we should, and we're not living a life that's pleasing to our Lord. So I think make sure your husband doesn't feel like somehow he's failing because of this this role he's taking on right now. What a beautiful thing for a son to care for his aging parents who are mm-hmm. not doing well physically. I think it's a beautiful thing. So a lot of affirmation, a lot of praise, and a lot of, I'm really proud of you, and I am so grateful that God brought you into my life. I think you're a wonderful man. So affirmations, praise, very important.
0: Affirmation and praise. I think this is key. And do you see long-term, because this is a question I often hear, Doug, for those who maybe aren't in a short-term situation, but they're seeing turmoil in the father-at-home perspective, what thoughts do you have on that? And I know this is a big picture, but like encouraging it to go on, if there's discomfort for the husband, he's in that stay-at-home role and there's no plan to end it, how do things need to be shaken up? Because I actually receive this question a lot, both personally from friends, but also people writing in.
1: I think, well, you know, the idea, I mean, every family is going to carve out their own way that they're going to navigate the world and the way they're going to figure out how to make the money to support the family. And, and you know, sometimes the man's going to be home because the, the wife has got a job that pays a lot more or for a variety of different reasons. And I think, you know, that's okay. I, I, and you just have to keep the perspective that that, that we're living a life that's pleasing to God. God didn't say, I'm displeased if the wife is the major breadwinner. That's not, you know, and and are, are is there love? Do we treat each other with respect? Do we take good care of each other? Are we using our marriage as a way to sanctify our life and to grow in holiness? And then good communication where you can say, hey, I- I'm feeling... You know, I'm feeling less than adequate right now. I'm feeling my self-esteem is hurting. Can we talk about it? So this idea of being able to share my emotions without feeling that I'm going to be judged or looked down upon, but that I'll be affirmed and I'll be comforted and that it's okay for me to have these negative feelings doesn't mean I'm bad or you're bad. It just means I'm in a kind of a bad place now and I sure do need my spouse to be the safe harbor. My spouse needs to be the safe place for me to turn when things aren't going real well for me emotionally and for the wife to be there for the husband to say, "It's okay. I understand. And we'll work through this thing together.
0: Love it. Great guidance. And Christina, we'll be praying for you because I know that's a tough season, but it sounds like you guys have a plan in sight. And again, that value of your husband is Doug said a moment ago, building your husband up and I trust you to make good decisions and emphasizing that. That's so key. That's Doug Hinder, licensed marriage and family therapist. You can find him at happymarriageforlife.com. That's happymarriageforlife.com. You're listening to Trending with Timmery. So many questions coming in. Here's another one along similar lines, Doug. Susan in New Jersey's on the line. Susan, welcome to Trending. What's your question today for Doug? Oh, well, I've heard about providing, leading, providing, and protecting, that those are three things men are supposed to do. And so I said, well, what are women supposed to do? Mm, that's a great question. <laughs> I have some thoughts I'd yeah. love to hear from you, Doug. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, you know, here's the deal. I mean, the—you uh, know if you look, God looked down at Adam walking around the Garden of Eden and said, oh, not good for him to be alone. He, he, nah, he's going to get in too much trouble. He needs help, and I'm going to create for him a helpmate. Well, he didn't create another guy who could help Adam, you know, plow a field or build a barn. He created a woman radically different, whose job is to complete and to make whole and to support and to help us men. And I think it's we're equal in our dignity, but very different in our talents and on our, our our qualities and and those great things that God put in us that made us different. And I think bring all of those things that are uniquely feminine, that are uniquely of the heart into your marriage to support the husband and to help him and ultimately to say, Hey, sweetheart, here's how I feel. You know, we should look at this situation, but I trust you to make a good decision here. So this idea of trust, but it's an idea of bring all of those things that make you uniquely beautiful as a woman to bear in the marriage and in the decision-making process that goes on in the marriage.
0: Mm-hmm. And Susan, my favorite, one of my favorite documents of the church on marriage is Cassie Canubia. It came out in the 1930s, and I'll post a link to it in social media as well as on the episode notes. Just check out relevantradio.com forward slash trending or follow me at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And this document, this encyclical, was specifically addressing the crisis of family situations. And if you think about the 1930s, we have the introduction of birth control, and that was part of the reason why it was written at that time. And It was interesting because in that document, it actually is very hard in terms of the position on the roles of men and women. And Cassie Kanubi says that the husband is the head of the home and the wife is the heart of the home. And that the head has the chief place in leading the family and the heart has a chief place in loving the family. And it goes on to discuss how when one of the spouses is stepping outside of their role, in other words, failing to stand up in their role, that the other is meant to help for a season, perhaps fill that void, but ultimately is responsible to call the other spouse back into their mission. Now, what's fascinating is at that same time as we've had this chaos in terms of roles between men and women, we had voices such as Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Edith Stein just prior to the severe sexual revolution and chaos between men and women speaking in something that St. Edith Stein said. And she ultimately— her, She's also known as St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, but something she said, and she was a philosopher. She converted from Judaism to uh, identifying as agnostic to then becoming a Catholic and a Catholic Carmelite nun. She spoke profoundly into the role and mission of women. And I think something to ponder, especially when we think of the woman as the heart of the home, she said, a woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold. I'll say that again. I, I hope they go mm. write this down because I think there's so much I to love that. Yeah. ponder. Yes, Doug. It says, A woman's soul fashion is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold. Now, not all women will have children biologically, but our bodies are oriented toward the potency and the capability to not only carry our children and nourish them during pregnancy, but to physically nourish them through nursing. Now, we were speaking earlier about the theology of the body and that spousal meaning of the body. Look to the body for the answer. Women's lives are engulfed in this idea of nourishment and in fact Edith Stein spoke to women who are in the workforce and how the leading responsibility in part women playing the workforce is that women help to prevent especially men but also in the family or in the workforce from atrophying that giving purpose and value and nourishment and so I think that's A key element of nourishment that is at the core of our loving responsibility as women. Does that answer the question, Susan? (laughs) Sorry, we just caught you. Does that answer your question? Yes, it was beautiful. Thank you. I can't believe it was impromptu. (laughs) Thank, thank you, Susan. It's Doug Hinder here with me on Trending with Timmy. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Doug, I want to take a question on divorce. There are a lot of questions coming in about divorce from yeah. narcissism to just navigating that season in life. And I'll start with Rosa's question. She said, what help or guidance do you have for those who are going through a divorce and facing betrayal? Mm.
1: Well, you know, yeah, there are a few things in life as difficult as a divorce. And I was reading a a commentary on the part of the uh, Gospels where our Lord says, you know, for that reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cling or cleave to his wife. And, And this guy said that the original Greek word that we translate as cling to or cleave to actually means to be glued to. And if you've ever tried to separate something that was glued together, you know, you can't do it without breaking it. And so divorce actually breaks something that was never meant to be broken. And so emotionally, it's unbelievably difficult. Betrayal, unbelievably difficult. Um, and I think there's just so much pain in our world and, uh, it's tough. I think prayer, you've got to go to prayer. Uh, to help through times like this support groups can be very helpful to get through very difficult times like this. Um, And just this appreciation that our faith is so rich in that it teaches us the salvific value of suffering. And there's a lot of suffering in even good marriages, but in a marriage that is being broken apart, the suffering is, is enormous. And so you want to get to the point where you can unite your suffering with Christ, and, and offer that suffering for the salvation of, of your spouse and, and for your children, um, that through all this pain, somehow their faith deepens and, and they're able to get to heaven when the time comes as well.
0: Amen. Prayers for you, Rose, and your family. And I'll throw a couple resources out there. Uh, BloomforCatholicWomen.com. It's for women who have faced betrayal trauma. That's BloomforCatholicWomen.com. Excellent resource and programs. And also, inspiring stories. Difficult, but inspiring. There's a book that's compiled by Layla Miller, and she chronicles the stories of marriages, And she calls it impossible marriages redeemed. They didn't end the story in the middle. And you would be amazed by these stories. I encourage you to pray on it and check out those two resources. We'll post them on social media as well as the episode notes. Just follow me at Timree. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Right back in just a moment with licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinder. Find him at happymarriageforlife.com and you'll hear some great advice from a therapist on how to be kinder to your spouse. Now that's one of the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. I think we all need to practice. So buckle up and stay tuned for how to be kinder to your spouse.
1: We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Doug Hinder is joining me. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. You want to be kinder to yourself. spouse, he'll tell us how to do it in just a moment. Before we do, I want to touch on one more question. Mayfoya on Instagram asked Doug, They've been married for two and a half years or sorry, they've gone two and a half years with no intimacy and said her because with her husband, the cause is multiple years of cheating. She's asking for any guidance that you might have.
1: Wow. Yeah. So by that stuff, multiple years of cheating, I not to make excuses, but something is broken inside your husband. I would say that he is unable or unwilling to, maintain the exclusivity uh, that's proper to marriage. And so I think counseling, some sort of therapy to find out why he is acting out in this way would be very helpful because something is broken. He needs some help to, to, to get over that. Uh, intimacy in marriage is a very important part of what married life is all about. It's the one kind of love That only a husband and wife share that they don't share with anyone else. We're going to talk about kindness in a minute, but that's a love that, yes, for your spouse, but that's a love you share with all kinds of people, even total strangers. But intimacy is a love only between the two of you, which is why it's sacred and it's holy. So I think therapy, certainly for your husband to help settle, figure out what's going on that's causing him to step outside the marriage. There's some brokenness in there that needs healing
0: amen amen so therapy and sound prayer again prayer believing the power of prayer while working on the practical, the human level that is so important. Doug, I want to talk about kindness. I love this topic. How do you be kinder to your spouse when it seems as if it's easy to be kind to everyone else, but sometimes not your spouse per se?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. So spouse gets on our nerves and it's hard to it's hard to be kind. And I think, you know, you've got to work at it. You've got to think about it. You can't just leave it to chance. And I part of it is to, I think, kind of have a mindset that, I'm going to continue to pursue my spouse the way I did before we were married so that my spouse would always think I'm a good guy and I'm the kind of person you want to marry because I'm a good guy. So to keep doing that, uh, is really important And kindness. You're right. I, we tend to neglect it sometimes and we certainly don't want to do that. It's such a foundational part of what marriage is all about. You know, in St. Paul in his letter to the, uh, uh, Corinthians. I mean, he wrote, love is patient, love is kind. It was the number two thing he, in the big litany of what love is, number two thing he listed was kindness. And so I think there's some questions you could ask your spouse. Now, these might take some courage, but one is, you know, what are your three biggest needs and how can I fulfill them? So what do you need that I can do for you? How can I help you? How do you need me to be there for you to help you? Um, and, and I, cause I, I want to do that, right? So that's a good question. Uh, second one, a little bit tougher. What things do I do that annoy you? What kinds of things am I doing that I should stop doing or do less of? Right. And so how am I getting on your nerves? And and what do you want me to change about myself for the better? And then the third one, when do you feel most loved by me? That, that could be a scary question to ask too, but what is it that I do that makes you feel well loved and that I'm really taking good care of you? Because I want to do more of that.
0: Mm-hmm. These are great questions. I'm going to post them as homework for us in the episode notes and on social media. I imagine maybe a spouse isn't able to respond to them right away. (laughs) Would you recommend if you're going to have this conversation, say, "Hey, I have some questions to ask." You don't have to ask them right right away. How would you recommend setting this up if this is an exercise someone wants to do?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. I think this is a great uh, date night conversation, right? So we're out. We don't have the kids with us. We're at dinner or whatever. We're going for a walk. And let's have some deeper conversations about our, our marriage and how can I be a better husband? What uh, and, and what do I need from you as a wife that perhaps I'm not getting? And it's, it's the idea of complain without blame, right? I'm, I'm not saying you're a bad person, but you know what? I could, um, boy, you know what? I, I, I would love it if when you leave for work in the morning, if you could take an extra five minutes and just hug me and just hold me really tight. I would really like that. Oh yeah, I can do that for sure. I didn't realize that uh, you wanted that. For sure, I can do that. And and it's it's important to be able to talk to our spouse about our needs so that our spouse can fulfill those. And we we can't. None of us read minds, and we tend to love our spouse the way we want to be loved. And oftentimes that's not how our spouse wants to be loved. And you know that book, the five love languages, can be helpful here to uh, or take a quiz online but to really learn how my spouse wants me to love him or her. Um, and Because I may not get it right, but if you tell me how you want to be loved, by golly, I sure will try hard to do that.
0: I'll post a link to the five love languages quiz link. It's fun. It's something interesting to do in a great yeah. way, like you said, to sit down and talk. Maybe this is part of your date night. My, I find that the joke from... Uh, A lot of men, though, is that a lot of men will joke, well, my wife's love language is all five of them, so of course I have to meet all of these. (laughs) Can you maybe give some guidance to the guys who think that, you know, my wife means everyone and how to focus in a little bit if that's one way to work on this?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And, And yes, I mean, we all want all five. I mean, all five of the different ways to show love is meaningful to everybody, but we all have a predominant one that's more important to us. Um, and so to to actually do the quiz and then have the conversation. My, my wife and I, in fact, just did the quiz. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, and she didn't. She said, "Well, I don't think this is accurate." And so we found another quiz online and did that. And she thought that was a little bit more accurate. So do a few different quizzes. But the good thing is about the quiz is it gets you having a conversation. It gives you a language to talk about. So I really like it when you affirm me and praise me. Or I really like when we just spend time together. We don't even have to talk. Just being in the same room with you, being able to just listen to you breathe just means so much to me. Or I really love it when you hold my hand or you just, we snuggle next to the sofa when we're watching a movie on TV or something. So to be able to have that conversation is where the real value is. Not that you actually got the right checkbox correct, but let's have the conversation.
0: I love this. There's so much to be said on becoming kinder to your spouse. So resources for the that, that questionnaire, the five love languages questionnaire, if you want to figure out maybe what might be keener for your spouse. And maybe you weren't aware of it because we give and receive love in different ways. But also, I love those three questions. I'm going to add it to my homework for later this weekend with a longer weekend. It's a great opportunity if you have a longer weekend because of Thanksgiving. So, Doug, thank you for those tips, for being kinder to your spouse, especially in this busy season where maybe there's so many activities surrounding Everything from Thanksgiving to Christmas and finances might be tighter as you're preparing to buy Christmas presents and enjoy all of the delights and things can be sometimes a little tenser in your marriage or maybe it's a a season of levity so it's a good season to work on it so everyone's different but please check out Doug Hinder's work happymarriageforlife.com thank you for your keen insights into marriage Doug if you have a question for Doug he'll be back again next week taking questions on marriage and family so don't hesitate to reach out head over to trending or sorry to relevantradio.com forward slash trending up Up next is the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. This is Timoree from Trending with Timoree. Trans Day of Remembrance was recently marked on social media, and there's a common myth out there about gender. Did you know that more than 9 out of 10 kids who identify as trans and struggle with their identity work it out and choose their biological identity if and only if they're not encouraged to identify as something they're not? This is actually good news. International peer-reviewed research points to this. Joining me to discuss will be Michael Gasparro, a marriage and family therapist, Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.